0: So let's go ahead and stand up and have a word of prayer. Lord, you are God Almighty, and you have something to say to us, something that you want us to hear so loudly. Lord, you want to say, stop the striving, stop the fretting, stop the agitation, and rest in me and my word and be strengthened by my word. Oh, God, so many of us have spent our lives being Jacobs, trying to get ourselves into the promises, not really believing that you love us, that you want to bless us, and that you are for us. God, forgive us for our unbelief. And in its place, Lord, drive it out and give us a greater heart of faith, that heart of faith that rests in who you are, rests in your power, rests in your strength, rests in your love and your goodness and the fact that you are for us, for each one of us oh God break through this dullness of heart and mind and let us know that the almighty God who gave his very son for us, how much more will he freely give us all things through Christ Jesus God may we grasp onto the promises and not lose the grip and let us let you do all that you have promised for us according to the great and mighty power that became ours through the work of Christ Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Sunday, I was talking to a woman, and her story is so typical of so many people I know. And she told me that her, up until Just lately, she's never really, really trusted the Lord. She's been a Christian for over 20 years. But all of that time, for the majority of that time, she felt that she had to attain for herself. She had to plead for the blessing of God. She had to work for the blessing of God. And she was always trying to please God. And her life was being lived by shoulds and should nots. And she never, ever expected anything from God except for heaven in the end. She didn't expect God to bless her or to meet her. As a teenager, she suffered a terrible disappointment. This was before she knew the Lord. And she never expected to be loved or even married. So when the first man that she met showed interest in her, she married him. And it's been a very difficult difficult marriage but she felt like she had done this to herself so of course because of what she had done she didn't deserve any of the goodness or the promises of God but just lately she told me with absolute rapturous joy with a huge smile on her face Cheryl I'm learning that God wants to bless me he wants to do it just because he's good and she said, I'm learning to just let God bless me. Are you one of those people that it's hard to receive a gift or a compliment? Yeah. I am. It's like, you know, they say, you know, I like your skirt. Oh, it only cost me $20. I got it on the sale rack. You know, I'm, I'm like always kind of like, it's not as good as you think. <laughs> you know, I, I'm always like, or, you know, you look pretty today for an old woman. You know, I just, <laughs> I have every Every dismantling comeback that there is. But you know, aren't we like that? It's so hard for us to receive sometimes. And especially from the hand of the Lord. Because we can tell him all the reasons we don't deserve his blessings. And I think instead of just being thankful, we remunerate. Lord, you don't deserve to bless me because when I was seven, I kicked a boy. When I was eight, you know, I tried to slug my friends because they wouldn't accept Jesus. Those are true stories, unfortunately. But you know, we can think of all the things that we've done wrong and all the reasons that we're disqualified from the blessings. But God says, I'm a God that blesses. It's His nature to bless. I meet so many people who do not believe that they can expect a good outcome to their trials. They don't think they can. So they get involved in their trials and they start defending themselves and they start fighting for themselves. But the Bible teaches that God is our defense, that God will see us through, that God will give beauty for ashes, Isaiah 61, that God is working in all things. Romans 8, 28, for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. Let's go back to that a second. You know, often in our mind, we think that God is working Together, all things for his glory. You know, and and God is only concerned with his glory. No, God is concerned with our glory. God is concerned with our good because he is our Father. I know I want the absolute best for my children. And, you know, I don't want them to settle for second best, especially when it came to spouses. You know, and they got the best so far. We're doing really good. It looks like it might be four out of four. It's going good. (laughs) But God is doing this for our good. He's working on things for our good, for our best, because that's the type of God he is. This is something that is so essential that that James, in the book of James, chapter one, he caught on to this concept. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, if you understood the good that God means and intends for you, when you saw a trial coming, you'd be looking with great expectation and saying, I'm jumping for joy. I got a trial and that means a blessing. That's, that's our perspective. It's a trial, oh good, a blessing. No, it's not, be honest. But God means this for good. But rather than trusting God to do what he has promised, we tend to plead with him over and over again. Oh, please, God, be good. Oh, please, God, be good to us. Because we don't trust him to be good to us. Jesus said, if you, being evil by nature, know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father will give will give good things, well, you're doing Luke, I'm doing Matthew, will give good things to those that ask. But what we do is we strive to please and appease God as if he's angry in heaven, as if he doesn't want to bless, but if you're going to force me, I'll bless you. But that is not the demeanor of our God. We also manipulate circumstances to try to get the end we desire to happen, don't we? We are, by nature, because our name is woman, control freaks. We love to control. You know, I've mentioned this before, but in your purse, you have everything that is needed to control your environment. You are ready for control. And that's what we want. We're manipulating to get the good because we don't really, really believe that God wants to do good for us. The multitude came to Jesus after he'd fed them the fish and the bread in John chapter six. And they said, what shall we do? that we may work the works of God. In other words, they're saying, how can we get more of this fulfillment and this bread and this fish and and this goodness of God? And Jesus said this, this is the work of God. This is what God wants. You wanna know what God wants? Here it is. Believe in him whom he has sent. What does God want from you? He wants you to believe in Jesus. That's what he wants. Number one, what does he want? you to believe in Jesus. You see, that opens up the door for God to work in you, to willing to do of his own good pleasure. That works in your circumstances for God to bless you and, and work good out of them. As we believe, as we have faith in what God has already done for us through Christ Jesus. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. It shall. We're afraid to say that. We Well, sometimes shall be done. No, it shall be done. God is going to work because his word abides in us. Now, I've had people say, you know, but uh, it's, You know, are you praying according to his will? You know what? God's got the great filter. I'm just supposed to pray. He filters what's good and what's not good. I thank God for that divine filter. That as I pray, it comes back as what is best. The best answer to my prayer. The best way. That's what God wants to do. But when I get in the picture, when I start striving and I start manipulating and I start, you know, getting Cheryl involved it just makes a mess. It takes longer to get those desired results. We are already in the promises of of God by faith in Jesus Christ. We are already heirs to the riches of Christ. Not that we will become heirs. Someday you'll be an heir. No, right now you are an heir And a co-heir with Christ Jesus to the riches that belong to Christ Jesus. Right now we are in the lineage of the Messiah because of faith. Right now, today, this second, we have favor with God because of Jesus Christ. Right now, today, this very moment, all the promises of God are ours. Not that they will become ours. But they are ours right now. Now, 2 Corinthians one twenty, which I quote every week, sorry. God is working in all our circumstances right now to bring the best outcome. Oswald Chambers said this, if there was a better way, God would have done it differently. God always chooses the best way. Right now, whatever you're going through, God is working in it to bring about the promises that he has promised to you that they would be seen and come out into the open. Our present trials are the means of God's richest blessings and fulfillment of all his promises. Let me say that again because this is the word of the Lord to me. Our present trials are the means to God's richest blessings and fulfillment of all his promises promises. Doesn't matter how dark, how terrible, how awful. Doesn't matter the motives of those who are striking out at you. These present circumstances are God's means for bringing about his greatest blessings. But are we resting in that? Are we resting in that? Or are we striving? Are we manipulating? I don't know about you. But I've got all these thoughts that come to me of what Cheryl could do. You know, they're the glory in Cheryl thoughts. Like, Cheryl could say this. And the Lord goes, yes, you could. And then I'll let you. Nope, 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 nope. Don't let me do it. Lord, hold me. Hold me back. In Psalm 139, it says, David says, lo, there's not a word in my mouth, Lord, but you know it all together. And I think God's saying, don't say it. <laughs> but you know, I get those thoughts and I have to submit. I have to take them captive before the Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in Second Corinthians chapter 10. I bring them under the lordship of Jesus Christ and I dismiss them because either I'm going to defend myself or God's going to defend me. And you know, my dad used to say, the person that has himself as a defense lawyer is the most pitiful person in the world. You know, it says in Psalm 27:1, God is our defense. We stand in God. You see, Jacob was already in the promises of God before he was even born. He was in the promises of God by God's word to Rebecca. Now, let me say this. You're saying, but it was a word to a woman. And obviously Isaac didn't believe it when she said, Isaac, there's two nations inside of me and the elder will serve the younger. Well, he should have known when twins were born, right? But do men really listen to women? No, remember I read you that article, our voices are lyrical. They just hear a sweet song. They don't they don't hear the message. So Isaac was not really listening to Rebecca. He was set on blessing Isaac. I mean, Isaac was set on blessing Esau rather than Jacob. But it didn't matter if no one listens. God spoke to Rebecca and she was meant to rest in that Yet Jacob spent half of his life striving, deceiving, and manipulating to get into the promises of God. He was born holding onto his brother's heel. And so he was named, that beautiful name, heel catcher. It actually can also, as you read in your lesson, mean supplanter or the usurper of somebody else's rights or claim jumper, not the restaurant who takes possession of what is not his. He was the second born twin, which meant he had no rights. He was not heir to anything. The birthright or family inheritance, the valuables, in this case, the lineage of the Messiah, the promises of God, were to go to the older child. I have a friend who was born in England and her father was the second son of an earl. And her uncle got everything from the family estate, all the money, the bank accounts, the business. And her father was left penniless. And that's, that's the rights of sonship. Jesus in the Bible is called the firstborn of all creation. It doesn't mean like he was the first to be birthed. What it's talking about is his rights to everything. The firstborn had the rights to everything. So Esau had the rights to the blessing, the lineage. He had the rights to the material wealth. And he had the rights of of the birthright. This This was his because he was the firstborn. But Jacob wanted this blessing. He wanted it. Now Esau wanted the material part of it. In fact, Esau didn't really care about this birthright until he realized it was financial or it had to do with material goods. He could care less about it. But Jacob wanted it because it was spiritual, because it meant God's presence with him. But rather than waiting on God and seeking God to do just as he had promised, Jacob sought it by trickery. In Genesis 25, 29 through 37, we hear that, Jacob, knowing his brother is out hunting, going to get tired, going to get hungry, he makes a pot of red stew. The implication was that he knew his brother would be weak and hungry. So Esau comes in and says, let me have some of that stew. And Jacob's stirring it. You can kind of see it. Yeah, you want this stew? It's really good stew with really good ingredients, really good savory meat. Just smell it. You want it? You want it? Give me your birthright. And Esau said, what good is my birthright to me? I'm starving. Esau wanted something immediate, not something in the future. He wanted that food and he esteemed that food, that pot of red stew that he could get immediately more than the promises of God. And so he sold his birthright for the pottage. Later, Jacob deceived his father Isaac to receive the blessing of God on his life in Genesis 27. Isaac had told Esau to go hunt game and make it into the savory stew he loved, and then he would bless Esau. Rebekah overheard this plot, and she and Jacob concocted and enacted a scheme to deceive blind Isaac into blessing Jacob. The scheme worked, as often our manipulations do. When we manipulate, when we deceive, you know what the problem, problem with it is? It works. That's why we get addicted to it. That's why we keep doing it because it works and it gives us that immediate result. And you know what? We hate waiting, don't we? We hate waiting for God's result. We want it now. So instead of making cupcakes, we go to cupcake stores where we can buy them immediately. It was so much work for these two, but they did it. It meant a savory stew, it meant a disguise, it meant killing a goat and putting the hair on Jacob's hands, it meant lying to his father. But Jacob did receive his father's blessing and his father and his brother's animosity and wrath. According to um, the commentary in the New Living Translation. It says, this blessing was legally valid and blessings that were given were irrevocable promises. So Isaac could not go back on his word now that he had blessed Jacob, but Jacob was forced to flee. And his mother and father sent him to Badam Aram, where his uncle Laban lived. Now Jacob had no idea of where to find his uncle, but he starts out on this long journey and he leaves Beersheba and he heads to Haran. He must escape his brother's wrath. I think about all this deception and all this work that Jacob and Rebecca went to for this simple blessing. And this is the blessing from Genesis twenty seven, twenty-eight through 29 that he strived, that he manipulated, that he deceived for. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over brethren and let your, son's son, your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and bless be those who bless you. Such a simple blessing, isn't it? And yet, he, he manipulated, he deceived, he was striving for this simple blessing. Now, say what you will about Jacob, he wants the blessing of God. He wants the blessing of God. We want that blessing, don't we? And we know that even though the blessing of God might seem so simple at times, it is so, so powerful. When I married Brian, I wanted two things. I wanted Brian, and I wanted my father and mother's blessing. And because I wanted my father and mother's blessing so much, I got the dress my mother liked best, the bride's dress that was on sale for $80 and made me look like I was 12. I also let them do Jewish, no, Jewish music at my wedding. So my wedding starts out with 20 minutes of sunrise, sunset. Because my mom always dreamed about walking down the aisle to sunrise, sunset, and this was her last chance. (laughs) My mother-in-law was getting out of the car. She got grease on her dress. She went into the bathroom to clean it up. Nobody knew where she was, so they played it for a longer period of time. And then they finally stopped. But my mom hadn't been down the aisle yet, just my aunts. And they found my mother-in-law, Carol. They went to my mother and said, what do we do? And she said, start it up again. This is a dream. So there is literally 30 minutes of sunrise, sunset at my wedding. And, you know, that's such an uplifting song. Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. You know? And then during communion, it's, um... May you be like Ruth and like Esther. And, you know, my dad dad leans into me and says, See, this isn't that bad. You know, I had to go a long way to get their blessing. Because they kept going, you want our blessing? Yes. Okay, then we're going to have the, all the music from Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> I wanted their blessing. But let me tell you something so precious. After my dad pronounced us Mr. and Mrs. Brian Broderson, he had us face the congregation. And he said, the Lord bless thee and keep thee and all the people sang as they looked at us he gave us his blessing such a simple blessing right the lord bless thee and keep thee and make and be gracious unto you make his face shine upon you and lift up his countenance upon you i messed that so up but you know what i mean it's because it's emotional the day before my father went to see jesus and he's having a great time. He was slipping into a coma. And he kept, you know, um, doing that deep sleep. And he would open his eyes and look around and, and go back in, you know. And they'd say, are you hungry? And he'd shake his head, no. Are you in pain? He'd shake his head, no. And then he'd go back. And my cousin came in. And he said, I think we need to sing a song. So my cousin started singing a song that none of us knew. And so, you know, and it looks like my dad is slipping deeper into this coma. When I said to my cousin, I don't know that one. But I know this one, the Lord bless thee. And all of a sudden, my dad opened his eyes and he led us. And that whole song, you see what I wanted before my dad went to heaven is I wanted his blessing. More than anything else, I wanted his blessing. Such a simple blessing. The Lord bless thee, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Such a simple blessing, but that simple blessing is the greatest blessing in the entire world. I don't care about jewelry because jewelry is cumbersome and it can be stolen and it can break and it can lose value. I don't care about houses and lands because they all need upkeep, but I do care about the faith of my father, and I do care about the blessing, and that's what Jacob cared about. He cared about the blessing. On the way, running from his brother, he stops in an unknown place because of the sun setting. Now, he thinks he's found this place. He thinks this is all him. He thinks he's very self-determining in what he does, and he grabs a pillow, uh, a rock for a pillow. But during the night, he has a divine dream. I call these God dreams. I've had some God dreams, which scares me just a little bit because in Joel 2.28, it says, in the last days, your old men will dream dreams. But in this dream, he sees heaven open and he sees a ladder reach all the way from earth to heaven and the angels of God are ascending and descending. And it's significant of heaven being open to Jacob and the angels taking up Jacob's requests and his needs and coming back with everything he needs from heaven, that God's blessings would come down upon him. And God speaks to Jacob in the dream, and he says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you, wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken. This is God speaking. I am, I will, I am, I will not leave you until I have done everything that I have promised. This is God. So Jacob wakes up, and he says, wow, the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. Like, I've come to the Lord's place. Not God has brought you to his place. See, Jacob's still thinking, I'm responsible. I'm doing this. (laughs) That's so us, isn't it? We feel so responsible. Yet rather than simply receive this great blessing and begin to walk in the confidence that God is with him, for him, and going to bless him, keep him, and do everything he said, Jacob begins to bargain with God. Verses 20 through 23. And says, if... You will be with me, God, if, now God said, I will be with you. And he said, now, if, if you really come through on your promises and if you will keep me in the way I'm going, if you will give me bread to eat, if you will keep me clothed, you do this God for me and I'll give you one tenth of everything I earn. What a bargain for God. I'm sure God was in heaven going, oh, let's shake on it. Hey, you think about these bargains that we make with God. Aren't they ridiculous? Yeah, Lord, if you'll, if you'll you know, do this for me, I won't eat chocolate candy bars by Hershey. <laughs> we have our limitations. You know, we, we make these bargains with God. God's like, oh, thank you so much you know, we don't need to bargain with God. God is offering Jacob so much. God has offered Jacob access to the heavenly realm. God has promised Jacob all that he gave to Abraham and Isaac. God is promising Jacob descendants when he doesn't even have a wife. God is placing Jacob in the very lineage of the divine seed of the Messiah. God is promising to be with Jacob, to take care of Jacob, to protect Jacob, and to give him the very land that he's traveling on. But Jacob still doesn't completely trust God to bless, still thinking he's got to bring something to the program, still thinking he's going to make this blessing happen. So when Jacob ends up in chapter 29 of Genesis, meeting his cousin Rachel by maybe Jacob thought it was a coincidence Uncle Laban's daughter, the very family he's supposed to marry into. He bargains then with his father-in-law. Seven years for this wife. As you know, he's deceived. He ends up marrying Leah and then agrees to work 14 years altogether for both wives. After um, 14 years, his uncle Laban comes to him and says, I realize that God's blessing is on you. Now, here's Jacob. He still doesn't have anything but wives and children. And he's working for his uncle. But his uncle says, I know God's blessing is on you because God has blessed me because you are in my house. So he says, I'm going to offer you wages. So Jacob comes out with this elaborate plan that he is going to take all the speckled or the minority of the animals. The smallest amount Laban has will be his. And Laban will have uh, the majority. But Jacob starts figuring and so when the animals go to mate, Jacob takes almond bark and chestnut bark and he, and he peels it back so the raw wet wood is showing. And he thinks this is going to make the animals conceive speckles, freckles. This is what he thinks. Let me tell you, there is no scientific proof for that. It was not a valid plan. It didn't work. Here, God's just blessing Jacob. He's like, oh, I can make this happen. You know, I mean, this is so us. We are coming up with the weirdest things that's going to help God bless us. Like, oh, let me just peel this bark away. And oh, wow, speckles are coming. It's not working. You know, I have this friend, and he used to say to his daughter, because she would cry and scream. And he'd say, is it working for you? Is it working for you? And that's us. We're crying. We're screaming. We're demanding. And God's going, is it working for you? So Jacob thinks that when the speckles are born, he's taking God's blessing and said, yeah, I made this happen. I've enriched myself. Not recognizing that it's the blessing. Even Laban saw that it was a blessing of God upon Jacob. Even Laban's sons Jacob's brother-in-laws saw that it was God's blessing upon Jacob. Jacob's the only one who thinks it's Jacob. (laughs) That he's doing it for himself. It's about this time that he notices that Laban and Laban's sons are not real happy with him. And God speaks to Jacob in Genesis chapter 31 and tells him that it's time to go home. Back to the promised land. But Jacob chooses to leave at night. Again, there's the deception. He's already moved himself away from Laban, but he's not going to go out during the day. Why? Because he doesn't trust God to protect him during the day. Because he thinks he still has to do this. And he thinks that obedience to to God is going to require some deception. Laban catches up with him and he tells Jacob, I meant to do you harm. It was in my mind and my heart to do you harm. But the God that you serve spoke to me and told me I couldn't speak either good or bad to you and I couldn't do a thing to you. But oh, if I could, I would. You know, God is so protecting Jacob. There was no reason to sneak away at night because God had promised to be with him. Jacob returns to the land, but as he's returning, he hears that his brother is marching towards him and his brother has an army with him. And Jacob does what Jacob does best. He begins to scheme and manipulate and deceive. Remember what God had said? I will be with you. I will keep you. I will protect you. What has God done for Jacob so far? He's taken a man who had only his staff and he's given him two wives, two maids, We won't talk about that right now. He's given him, at this point, 11 sons. He's enriched him, made him a very, very wealthy man. And God has done all this. God has kept everything he promised to Jacob. He has done it. And yet Jacob is still scheming. So he organizes his servants and his flocks into two companies. He puts his family towards the back. He's going to make this happen. He's going to protect his assets. And then he puts together a big gift for his brother to appease his brother's wrath. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 20 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels with colts. If you're taking notes, this is important. 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 foals. He puts this together. He's, gonna, he's still working. He's still manipulating and then he prays but I call this a one-eye-opened prayer you know he's like trusting God but you know better keep one eye open to see what's going on in his environment and this is what he says "O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac the Lord who said to me return to your country and to your kindred and I will deal well with you this is God's promise I am not worthy of the least of all these mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother and the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. This is the promise of God this is what God said he would do. But here's Jacob. I I want your promises. And so I've done my best. So Lord, could, could you do your part? Not realizing that God's part is all the part. Jacob is reminding God of his promises. Suddenly Jacob, for the first time, I think is realizing, I can't do this by myself. I need God. All of his life, he is relied on his own ingenuity, his own initiative, and his own intellect. They've been his fallback. Now, we know that Jacob's not through with this because we read that he then, in verse 21, instructs his servants about how to present his gift to Esau. Now, just, just bring the female goats, then wait a little bit, and bring the male goats, and then Let there be like some time passing through. So he's like, whoa, this is a lot of stuff. I think that one thing that Jacob knew about his brother is he loved material things. So that night, when Jacob is all alone, he goes to a place just to to sleep alone after dividing into two companies, his, his servants and his wives. After getting the gift for Esau all arranged, he goes, Now, this is the night that Jacob needs a really, really good night's sleep, right? Because he needs to be alert. He needs to be strong. He needs to be everything that he's ever been because this is the biggest trial of his life. He needs to be alert, full of strength, full of stamina. But God sends his angel. The word angel is malak, and it means messenger. So some believe that this is what's called a Christophany, or an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And we know that Jacob wrestles all night with this messenger. Jacob refuses to give in. And finally, the angel touches Jacob in his hip joint and puts his hip out of joint. Terribly, terribly painful. And even at this, here's Jacob, he still won't give in. He refuses to let the angel leave until the angel blesses him. What is interesting to me is this blessing, the blessing to Jacob, is the change of nature. It's a name change, but it's more than a name change. It's more than, uh, we're going to call you Frank now instead of Carl. It's more than that. It's saying, you're not going to be a supplanter. You're not going to be a usurper. You're not going to be a deceiver. You're not going to be the one who grabs for himself anymore you're going to be the one who is ruled by God. This is going to be the change. This is the blessing. The blessing is when you stop trying to get for yourself and you allow God to rule in your life and do everything he wants to do for you. Here's the blessing. You see, before God could bless Jacob, the angel says, what's your name? And he says, Jacob heel catcher, supplanter, usurper, claim jumper, deceiver. This is my name. This is my nature. He has to admit what his natural estate is. Before he can have a change, he has to admit what he's done. And then the change of name, you shall be called Israel. Israel. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. How did Jacob prevail? He prevailed by losing. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, he who loses his life will find it, but he who seeks to save his life will lose it. How do we get our life? How do we win and prevail? We prevail in the promises of God. We prevail in the word of God. We prevail in life when we lose our life to Jesus Christ. When we become ruled by God and we stop the manipulating, we stop the scheming, we stop the deceit. The way to bless Jacob was to remove his ability to strive, deceive, get for himself, manipulate. It was to render him helpless and utterly dependent on God. It is at this point that Jacob begins to finally live in the blessings and promises that have always been his. There's no need to fight Esau. There's no need to try to appease him. No need for schemes. God has prevailed and gone before Jacob. When he meets Esau, Esau's like, what's with all the gifts? And Jacob says, well, you know, I I wanted to appease you. And Esau said, there's no need for that. And Jacob said, well, take them anyway because God has been so good and his blessing has been so rich on me. It's in his weakness when he can't do for himself that he finally, finally realizes that it's always been God. It's the time that he learns to rest. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said that he had learned to glory in tribulation and affliction and hard places, because he learned that when he is weak, God is strong. Paul realized that he was not responsible to work the blessings of God into his life. It was God's responsibility, and all Paul needed to be was in Christ. The next half of Jacob's life is so different than the first half. Jacob is told to go back to Bethel, the place where he first heard from God, the place where he first encountered God. But his family must put away all the idols. They must purify themselves. They must change their clothes. This is the place where the official name change will take place. This is it. This is his dedication to God. He's going to go back to that place where he first encountered God. And he's going to remember those promises. And the name change will become official when all the idols or other dependencies, the fallback plans, are gone, put away, left behind. The name will be officially changed when all the self-indulgences, all the impure places in Jacob's life and family are put behind, all the places where he tried to fulfill himself. The change of nature will be complete when the old clothes or the old way of doing things, his righteousness, what he achieves is put behind and he puts on the new clothes that God gives him. It's at Bethel that God speaks to Jacob. Chapter 35 of Genesis verses 10 through 12. Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you and to your descendants after you I give this land. God was promising once more, reiterating the promise to work in the details of Jacob's life even when Jacob was unaware. In Genesis 37 through 50, we read the rest of Jacob's life. Jacob would learn to accept even the sorrows as being from the hand of God. We will not find Jacob striving anymore or manipulating. And I believe God was preparing him for one of the greatest sorrows and blessings of his life when his son Joseph would be taken to Egypt. Jacob would be told he was dead and Jacob would have to trust God even though he thought his beloved son was dead only to find out that that son was not dead but was the prime minister of Egypt and would save his life. Jacob needed to learn to rest in the promises of God. As believers we are either a Jacob or Israel. As Jacob, we are pleading with God to bless. We are praying with one eye open. We like the promises of God, but we are scheming, striving, manipulating to make them happy. Not really believing. Not entering into the rest that God promises through faith. Or we are Israel. We are resting in the finished work of Christ. We realize that it's all about what Jesus has done and what he is doing, and not about what I can or cannot do. We are allowing God to accomplish his work, just letting God work. Franklin Graham calls this God room. In other words, it's giving God room to work, not crunching him in, not saying, well, here's your time limit, and if you don't do something in two weeks, then I'm going to have to do it, Lord. How many times have we prayed like that? Lord, if you don't work, I'm going to go next door and borrow money. You know, we just have these fallback plans. But letting God rule, letting God do the directives and the instructions, Israel ruled by God, not ruled by Cheryl, but ruled by God. God will often weaken us. So we will realize that it has never been us. It has always been him. As Paul the Apostle said again in Second Corinthians twelve eight through 10, my grace is sufficient for you, God speaking to Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul saying, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me for when I am weak, then I am strong. We are already heirs to all the promises of God through Christ Jesus. The promises of God are ours right now. The epistle of Ephesians in the... Um, open Bible, New King James. In the introduction, it says that Paul is writing to a people that is rich with spiritual blessing, but living as paupers because of a lack of faith, that they don't realize all that is theirs. So Paul in Ephesians chapter one lists all the things that are theirs already, not that they need to attain to, not that they need to strive for, not that they're to scheme or manipulate, but that are already theirs. And this is some of the blessings grace and peace, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, chosen, even as Jacob was chosen when he was still in the womb, holy and without blame, before him in love, predestined to the adoption of sons, accepted in the beloved, redeemed, forgiven of sins, abounding in the riches of grace, revelation of his will, an inheritance, and already we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's time for us to live in the realization that heaven is open to us and angels are taking our prayers to heaven and bringing back the promises of God to us. It is time for us to believe and rest in the fact that God is with us. God is keeping us. God is blessing us. It's time to live as Israel, those who are ruled by God and under the rule of God rather than as heel catchers. Time to live in the realization that God is for us and God will work divinely in our lives for glory. I'm gonna leave you with this. And it's four reasons for rest from Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four talks about how the Israelites could not enter into the promises of God because of unbelief. And that God intended a rest for them. Now we see that Jacob finally entered into that rest, right? He entered into that rest at the lowest, hardest place of his life. He finally entered into that rest. We need to enter into the rest and let just God do what he wants to do. I talk to you as one who struggles to rest. I'm hyperactive. I like control. I make my bed every morning, even if I stay at a hotel. I just like control. I like a clean environment. And I've had to learn, and I am learning to become an Israel and not a Jacob. And I go back to Hebrews chapter 4 over and over again to find these four reasons for rest. I think I've even taught you these four reasons for rest. But I realized that my dad repeated his lessons a lot. And so I am his child. So I am going to repeat these to you because they help me over and over and over again, and it's the Word of God. So reason number one, Hebrews chapter 4, 12. You can rest because the Word of God is living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living. It's not dead. It's alive. So that means it's going to happen. It's living. Secondly, you can rest in the promises of God, verse 13, because God sees Everything. It says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God knows the truth. God knows what really happened. You can rest because God saw. Do you ever say to your friend, did you see that? You're like, no, what? You're like, I can't believe you missed that. Especially your husband. Did you see that? No, what? Never mind. But with God, he sees it you can rest because God knows, God sees, and he's the judge of all. Thirdly, you can rest, verse 14, because he's our high priest. God is on our side. He understands us. He intercedes for us. He knows exactly what we need. And he's at the right hand of the father. He's already gone through everything that we could possibly go through. And he is victorious and he is on our side. Finally, verse 16. We can rest because we have bold access to the throne of God. The throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of need. Anytime, 24-7, it's open to us. I was reading um, yesterday in in my Bible study, personal devos. I was reading about how after Nathan gave David the promise of God that through David's seed, the Messiah would come. It said that David went and was alone and sat in the presence of God. And I was thinking, how incredible that at any given moment we can go and sit in the presence of God. I have a favorite spot that I resort to. Um, I love to go to this um, spot. Um, I'm not going to tell you because it's mine, but it's, um, it's at the beach. I've taken pictures. If you're following me on Instagram, you'll know. But anyway. It's this spot. And you know what's so funny? It's all rocks. And I sit on these rocks. And I'm thinking, Jacob had a rock for a pillow and I have a rock for a seat. And it's in this place that I go over the fact that I need to just rest and give it all to God. God's going to work. God's going to do something marvelous. And my manipulations and my scheming and my deceit would only make it take longer It would only make it get worse. Or I can give it to God. And I can rest in him. And I can go to sleep at night. And I can wake up in the promises of God. And I can rehearse those promises that he will keep, that he will be with me. It's my choice. Do I want to rest? Do I want to be in Israel? Or do I want to be a heel catcher? Which one? My choice. Stand up. Because I'm going to put us all in the promises of God and rest right now. We're doing it. Lord, I pray right now for my sisters. Lord, I would say, in fact, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands while your eyes are closed. Not yours, God, theirs. If you feel like you've been a heel catcher and you want to be an Israel, raise your hand. Okay, don't open your eyes, but it's all of you. Lord, here we are. We confess our heel catching. And we want to lay it down, God. And we don't want our hips out of joint to do it. God, we just want to right now enter into the realm of Israel, being ruled by you. We want to see what our God can do and not what our manipulation or our scheming or our or our deceit can do. Lord, we wanna just so rest in you and watch you come through in all glory. Lord, this world needs to see you, not us. They need to see that you're a God that comes through, that you are a God that keeps his promises, that you are a God that works and blesses on behalf of your children. So God, we avail ourselves to you. Make us Israels that all the world may know that our God does not save by spear or javelin or sword, but he saves by the power of his promises and his word. Lord, let this be our slogan. Give us rest through Jesus. And in Jesus' name, we pray, amen.